Picture this. It's a cloudy, misty morning in the middle of winter. Tom wakes up, a bit nervous for the day ahead. He's leaving on a long journey through uncharted waters. His captain says they will try to leave England and make it all the way to the Americas. He's ready and packed to leave his house when his wife reminds him to take the biscuits he had spent the night preparing. Let's zoom in on these biscuits right here. They look a bit strange, don't they? These are called ship's biscuits, and they were literally the biscuits that sailors ate during long voyages at sea. A ship's biscuit could go years without going bad. I know that sounds impossible, but the secret is in the ingredients and baking methods. When sailors departed, they didn't know how long they would go without setting foot on land again. So they needed to be ready, food-wise. Otherwise, they could perish from extreme hunger. So bakers came up with this simple biscuit. It's mostly made out of three ingredients, salt, flour, and a bit of water. The idea is that the dough stayed as stiff as it could. Then, bakers would put them in the oven for hours, at very low temperatures. The purpose of this slow baking was to take off all the moisture in the biscuits. Even if you're not an experienced sailor, you might suspect that moisture is the enemy of food preservation. It makes stuff get moldy and attracts insects and other animals. Plus, a ship is already an extremely moist environment. So the biscuits had to go on the countercurrent of all of that? A ship's biscuit can go six, seven, eight years without going bad. The little holes you see on them help to get the moisture out during the cooking process. A sailor like Tom, medium-sized, would get a portion of six to eight ship's biscuits per day. They were extremely nutritious and satiated a person's hunger. Now, this was a type of survival food. It wasn't meant to be super pleasurable, yummy, or even give you all the nutrients you needed. Just the basics. Now, do you have any idea what life was like in the 18th century? If you think about a city like New York, there were only about 18,000 people living there. For comparison, today the city hosts more than 8 million people. Back then, if someone had to travel from New York to Boston, there wouldn't be any of the convenience stores there were along the way. I mean, there weren't even roads as we know them now. So, people needed to make food provisions. And this is where portable soup came in handy. If you imagined a boiling pot of meat and veggies, I'm sorry to inform you, you are wrong. Portable soup is hard and condensed. It looks like this. Portable soup is a type of solidified broth, a very, very condensed substance made essentially of meat. Think about it. It's convenient. It's light. It doesn't take up much space. But it's extremely hard to make. The best meat to make portable soup is one with a lot of collagen, like beef shank. And the secret is slow cooking. You can't lose sight of it, though, because if it boils up, you ruin the whole thing. While cooking the meat, it will release its taste in the water in the pot, and after a few hours, it's safe to take the beef out. The remaining water will be rich in nutrients and fats, and once you reduce that down for about 18 to 24 hours, you'll get a gelatine-like nutritional substance. Once this cools down, it turns into a tablet of sorts. It's pretty amazing to witness the entire transformation process, but hey, this dark tablet is really satiable. And to eat it, you just needed to find some hot water and put the meat tablet inside of it. It would release all the condensed nutrients in it, giving you a warm, hearty meal. Here's a trick question for you. Do you know why hamburgers are called hamburgers if they are not made out of ham? Apparently, it has to do with the city they were first invented in, the city of Hamburg in Germany. But it wasn't what we are used to today. I mean, they didn't even use ketchup. Well, 
at least not the tomato ketchup we use now. But did you know that other types of ketchup have existed throughout history? As weird as it may sound, back in the 18th century, people ate mushroom ketchup. For your information, if you look up ketchup in some dictionaries, it is by definition a sauce made out of mushrooms. It has nothing to do with tomatoes. I wonder where people got that idea from. Anyways, to make it, you can use any type of mushrooms. Even shiitake if you're feeling fancy. The idea is to smash them, cook them, and add a bunch of spices to the mix. I'm talking clove, nutmeg, ginger, pepper, and whatever else your palate wishes for. And in case you're wondering what our ancestors ate it with, I have one word for you, meat. They would pour mushroom ketchup over a nice piece of steak, for example, like a gravy sauce or something like it. Now, if this just left your mouth full of water, I have good news. You can still find mushroom ketchup in Great Britain. It's just North America that kind of forgot it. Neat, huh? And what did people eat back in the day when they were feeling unwell? Today, we have a concept of food I particularly love comfort food, which is something to eat when you are feeling down and sad. But then, on the days you're feeling sick, what do you eat? I immediately think of a warm soup or something nutritious and light. Our forefathers drank something called posset. Now, posset could be described as an eggnog with some sweets added into it. Its recipe can be traced down to as early as the 15th century. The drink was considered such a reliable remedy that Shakespeare even used it as a poison in Macbeth. Here's another quick pop quiz for you. Why do we say the proof is in the pudding? This famous expression simply means that you'll only know the true value of something once you experience it for yourself. The expression started to be used back in the 1600s, but there's an important thing to note here. In Britain, pudding is not the sweet desert known by many in America. Rather, it's a savory dish, much like a pie. I guess it's safe to say that the British are good at turning almost anything into pie. From apple pie to pumpkin pie, chicken pot pie, and so on. Now, in the 18th century, they had something called beefsteak pie. This was an incredibly popular dish back then, but somewhere along the way, we lost the habit of making it. Sure, you can find steak and kidney pudding today, but it's got all sorts of stuff in it, such as potatoes, carrots, and thick gravy. Up until the 19th century, people ate the stripped-down version of this dish, which was basically made out of richly flavored meat. They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. If you're in the US, you might eat some avocado on toast or a rich bowl of cereal. If you're in Vietnam, you might enjoy a warm bowl of broth soup or rice. But if you were eating breakfast in 18th century England, or even the United States, you would get something like this. This is the old school version of what we know as bacon and eggs. Except the doctor that back then, it was called collops and eggs. According to the traditional Hannah Glass recipe, straight from the most famous cookbooks of back then, the egg wasn't fried or boiled, it was poached, and the bacon was probably not as processed as we eat them today. A little toast was added on the side, and there you had it. The perfect start for a long day. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.